0: Listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at WellChurchVT.com. Good morning, Church at the Well. Last week, Adam introduced us to the Book of James in our new series, The Book of James. A Living Faith, and the series is going to last for five weeks total, and we'll be teaching from a chapter of the book for each week. So there's five chapters in the book of James, and we're going to be teaching from a chapter each week. We won't be teaching through each chapter, verse by verse, because we don't have the time to do so, but I actually think it works for James. Because as you're going to notice in today's chapter, chapter two, James isn't correcting or laying out a theological framework as much as he's addressing the way that people are living, the way that people are engaging the world around them. Now, before we jump into chapter two, I just wanted to provide a reintroduction to the book of James, in case you weren't able to jump in last week. James, in the Greek, James's name is Yakobos, which is the Hebrew name Yaakov, and so a lot of translators or modern translations of the book of James actually would call this book the book of Jacob uh, which is probably a little bit more of an accurate translation of uh, the name Yaakov or Yakobos in the Greek, but we're familiar with James probably most of us are most familiar with the book of James as the title of the book and We also have a graphic that says the book of James, so we're going to stick with it. But Jacob, or or James, as we will refer to him as, was the half-brother of Jesus. So you might have seen some other James listed in the Gospels if you've read through the Gospels. James, so he was the half-brother of Jesus, and he was also a leader and a pastor in the Jerusalem church in the first century. The Jerusalem church in the first century would have been considered to be the kind of the mother church or the hub church of all the other early local congregations and churches. They kind of looked to this church for wisdom and, and James was uh, had a strong pastoral influence in this church. He was known as a pillar of that church. He had a very strong pastoral presence. He was known as a peacemaker in this church and he spent his life pastoring in Jerusalem and he was eventually killed for his faith. So James was a martyr. Now this book is actually an epistle or uh, what could be called a letter and in James in the beginning of James, he addresses this letter to all Messianic Jews all um, those who have come from uh, a history in Judaism who have come to believe in Jesus as Messiah, uh, he addresses this letter to to all those uh, messianic Jews who are living outside of the land of Israel, but james 's epistle or his letter is it 's not written like a Pauline epistle or a letter written by the Apostle Paul, which typically Paul was addressing like specific issues that were were relevant to specific local church communities. James's letter is actually written in a more general sense to really any community of Jesus followers. And James's goal in his letter wasn't to present a new theological idea or ideas. The goal of his letter was to challenge how people are choosing to live. Now, this book or this letter contains a short wisdom teachings. They're very practical. You'll see that James was influenced by the wisdom that we find in the book of Proverbs and, and also by the wisdom that Jesus taught in his sermons, specifically the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew's chapter, chapter five through seven. And these short wisdom teachings are, are found in the body of the book, which we're coming to today in chapter two, which runs through chapter five. It consists of 12 short, wisdom teaches and teachings, and they're not particularly related. They're just kind of 12 short, bite-sized wisdom teachings, and we come to those first two teachings today in chapter 2. Now, the first wisdom teaching we come to is found in verses 1 through 13, and James is addressing a specific issue, an issue, issue that you could call um, of, of treating people with favoritism or partiality. Verse one reads this, my brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Pretty simple. He goes on to explain what he means, but the dictionary defines favoritism this way, the practice of giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. And I would also add that favoritism is normally shown to those who can benefit us, right? Like that's the reason we are doing it. Uh, a story uh, uh, that I'd like to share about being on the opposite end of favoritism took place at a wedding I was attending a few years ago. And if you've ever been a part of a bridal party or a family member of uh, a wedding in attendance, you may have gone to what's called a rehearsal dinner. And the rehearsal dinner is basically the bride and groom's way of saying thank you for coming. It's after the rehearsal the day before the wedding and you are fed food and drink normally and it's typically a time of celebration. And so I was at this rehearsal dinner at this wedding where I was a part of the bridal party and fam just kicked on. It's amazing. Um, if Adam can deal with F-35s, I can deal with a little bit of fam. Um, so, partway through this rehearsal dinner, I noticed another table across the room was getting served better food and better drink than the rest of the folks in attendance at the rehearsal dinner. And it struck me as a bit strange, like, why not just serve everybody the same thing or at least perhaps be a little bit more discreet about that. Now. I'm guessing you can imagine what that felt like. It's not a good feeling. At that dinner, I felt excluded, I felt devalued, and here's the thing, I may not even have liked the, the drink or the food that had been served at the other table um, to what was seemingly uh, more a guest full of more important people, but it wasn't a good feeling. How many of you know what that feels like? How many of you know what I'm talking about? What it feels like to be excluded or feel devalued or to feel less important than another group because of a situation you were in? Now, this is James's challenge to all followers of Jesus. His challenge is that partiality and favoritism, they're not consistent with Jesus's teaching about love which is whom James draws from time and time again throughout the book. In fact, James's letter sounds very much like Jesus's teachings as well as the book of Proverbs. In fact, we find in verses 9 through 10 of chapter 2 that James contrasts the showing of favoritism with love in verses 9 through 10. If you really keep, forgive me, verses 8 through 9, If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Who does James sound like when he says, you're doing right if you keep the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself? James insists that favoritism is the opposite of the love taught by Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke about this very issue, teaching. Uh, this is in chapter 5, verses uh, 46 through 48 in Matthew chapter 5. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And this is highlighting one of the things I mentioned in the introduction when I, when I mentioned that James's goal in this letter was not to present a new theological idea. And hopefully when I said that, that wasn't taken to infer that James isn't concerned with good theology. He is. But the point is this, James is concerned with followers of Jesus living in the true wisdom of Jesus' teachings about the Kingdom of God. And this wisdom it's often very simple and straightforward and practical albeit difficult to do at times and james is pointing to jesus's teachings in the sermon on the mount again that's chapter five through seven we should read it a lot as followers of jesus he's pointing to these teachings constantly through the book of james now before we jump into chapter two's second wisdom teaching i'd like to ask us a few questions what this favoritism and partiality look like in our lives? Are we living in any ways that exclude others or are we living radically inclusive lives motivated by the love of God? Now before we answer that question I think it's important to imagine what that looks like today in our time and in our lives, because James's example that he provides in verses 1 through 13 is about showing favoritism to the rich at the expense of the poor. Now, James's example may or may not be uh, an example that connects with us on a personal level, so it's important to imagine and, and, uh, what that might look like today in our lives, in our time, Favoritism, as we defined earlier, is the practice of giving unfair preferential treatment to one group or one person at the expense of another. It's normally shown to those who can benefit us. So, who are those you might show favoritism to? Could it be a group of people? Those who identify with a particular political party or not? Perhaps it's a group of friends where you're hoping to achieve a a certain status with because you could benefit by that. Could the favoritism be expressed through a socialized bias or prejudice that's based on race or gender, whether conscious or unconscious? When we show favoritism in small ways or large, we are living in a way that's antithetical to the love of God expressed in Jesus' teachings about the radically inclusive kingdom of God, a kingdom in which God wants to invite all people into, which brings us to James's second wisdom teaching in chapter two. Now, we just kinda highlighted a few verses in that first section. We're gonna read the rest of the chapter, verses 14 through 26, to kinda look at the second wisdom teaching James writes, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Now, this is a key verse, not only in chapter 2, but in the entire book of James. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Now, I love this. This is James's sarcasm coming out. You believe that there is one God? Good! Even the demons believe that and shudder, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions, they were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture is fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do not by faith alone in the same way Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did When she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in different direction as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without deeds is dead Again, in the second wisdom teaching that James lays out for us, it's pretty straightforward, right? James is challenging followers of Jesus to inspect whether their belief is aligned with their lives or their actions. There have been times uh, throughout church history where, where arguments have been made because of this specific teaching in this specific chapter that the book of James shouldn't be given much weight. The famous reformer, Martin Luther, said this, he said, St. James' epistle is really an epistle of straw compared to these others, for it is nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. And Martin Luther even said this, speaking uh, about the, the book of James, we should throw the epistle of James out of this school, for it doesn't amount to much. Okay, Luther presumed James was making a case against salvation by faith or justification by faith. However, James is simply articulating that salvation by faith results in a life that practices the way and teachings of Jesus. By the way, did anyone appreciate James's New England sarcasm vibes in verse 19? You believe that there's one God? Good theology, right? Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now James is not saying that theology isn't important. He's making a case that good theology and belief are expressed through lives that practice the way of Jesus. That's the case that he's making here. This isn't something that is new, either. This isn't a new idea that James is presenting. Jesus taught this same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 Jesus says this not everyone who says to me Lord Lord Jesus is Lord good theology right will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven our belief our faith our theology need to produce a life that practices the way and teachings of Jesus our lives are supposed to look more and more like Jesus's life there have been times in my own life where the newest book or study around a theological topic, it's become a distraction to practicing the way of Jesus. And I've learned that you can't substitute practice in your life. When when we do so, theology and belief, they become a costume. Halloween was yesterday. Uh, and when, when we... Emphasize that without actually having any real implications on how we are practicing in our lives um, Becomes a costume instead of the animating force of our lives works here's the thing works and Action they don't produce good faith or good theology Works are the outflow of the kingdom of God's activity in our lives and there's a fallacy, I think, that's presented that this outflow just happens. I've learned over the years that while there's often an organic expression of faith, that practice, practice is also an essential element of following Jesus. And so I I believe that the spirit leads and empowers and that our lives uh, manifest in an organic way the life and power of God's love, but we also have the teachings and story of Jesus as a template to practice the way of Jesus. When Jesus told his earliest followers to make disciples, he also instructed them, this is in Matthew 28, he also instructed them, teach them everything that I have commanded you. These teachings are recorded in the Gospels, not, not only in Jesus's sermons, but also in the way that Jesus lived. This isn't to be confused with legalism. For James, works are the expression of the love and compassion of God. These works are to mark the people of God, not in order to be saved. Salvation's a free gift that comes through the work of Jesus, but in order to experience the love of God and to also become a life that welcomes others into God's love, we are to practice the way of Jesus. According to James, a living faith is one that is not only concerned with one's own salvation or checking all of the proper belief boxes. A living faith is one that results in others becoming fully alive and immersed in God's love. Not just one that we benefit from, but everyone benefits from. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the incredibly practical nature of the book of James. As we read through it, as we engage it, We just ask that your Holy Spirit would transform us to be a people who are known and marked and characterized by your love, by the person and way of Jesus. As we look to chapter 2, we ask that you would reveal to us ways in which we show favoritism or partiality. Help us to name those ways. And, and and help us to, rather than living lives that exclude others, to live lives that are motivated by the kingdom of God and the invitation that you give out to the world, the invitation to be immersed into your love, your mercy, your grace, and your peace. Help our lives to be extensions of that very invitation. And may we have a faith that is living that is fully alive and not dead, that is characterized by the restoration, renewing and reconciling that you are doing in this world. Help us to be participants in that in practical ways. Help us to do it uh, even at times at our own expense to live selflessly for the benefit of others instead of selfishly for the benefit of ourselves or our group or our tribe. Help us to see all of the ways in which we can grow and become more like you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go in God's grace and peace today, Church. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.